welcome you to Open Court with Fairfield basketball coach Chris Casey. This is your podcast destination for Fairfield basketball. Along with the coach, I'm Bob Giesler, joined by my broadcast partner, the former Fairfield great, the Hall of Famer Joe DeSantis, and our special guest today is Stag's first-year forward, Louis Bleachmore. Well, the Stags had won 11 of 12 before getting cooled off by MAC leader Quinnipiac. That was on January 28th. Very entertaining game. Great atmosphere inside Mahoney Arena. A game that literally was not decided until the uh, final buzzer coach. So let's start things off by discussing that Quinnipiac game and your thoughts on the, the overall performance that day uh, by the Stags and also your message to the team following a tough loss. You have not had to impart that message too often in recent weeks yeah um i'll give you a couple things uh guys first looking at the tape i thought we competed extremely extremely hard um and that's always the first thing that i'm looking for and i've never been haven't been disappointed once with that this entire season um so i and i thought both teams competed really hard and if you're a college basketball fan that was a great game to watch like you're coming away from that loving being at that game um, so I thought that, and that was the first thing I thought. The second thing I thought, I, for me, you know, and I tend to go the positive direction with, with just about everything, but I looked at that after the game and I said to myself, you know, this, I'm disappointed we lost, obviously, but uh, this just reaffirmed my thought that we're one of the top teams in the league and we have as good a shot as anybody to win this whole thing. Um, I watched us go up and down. I thought the, the, the thing we didn't do, two things we didn't do in that game was we needed to make more free throws. We're a good free throw shooting team consistently. We went 13 and 19. In a game like that, you got to go at least 16 and 19, maybe 17 and 19. And then my other thought was we did not, we didn't finish at the rim. You know, we're about a 52% field goal percentage from two team. And um, when I clipped the game up, I clipped, uh, there was at least 10 clips that I did of us being at the rim and not finishing. Um, now, I, I got to also see, you know, Quinnipiac made some hustle plays, so I can't totally say that, you know, that's just us. But, you know, when you get to the rim like that ten times, you got to find a way to f- get fouled or at, and, or finish um, at least half of them. If you finish 30% of them and make a couple more free throws, you know, you're, you're – they're chasing you at the end of the game. So that's kind of what I thought about it. And then as far as my message to the team goes, you know, that's pretty much what I just said, what I told them. And I just said, you know, I I, I, re, I kind of repeat myself with this Muhammad Ali quote, but, you know, it's okay to go down, in or out of the ring. What's not okay is not to get back up. You know, it's college basketball. It's not all rainbows and unicorns. Teams beat teams. That's what happens. It's all about how you approach that and how you respond to it. And we always talk about shallow dips. If you have tough personalities, grinded out mentalities, guys that, you know, come back to work after a setback immediately, then your dips during the season are shallow. They're not deep dips. If you don't have guys who do that, then you have deep dips. Um, And those setbacks kind of compound themselves. Um, So, you know, based on our practices and, and any other setback we've had, uh, we, we, we've handled it well, and we're going in with a good mentality Friday against Iona. Well, certainly we know one guy who uh, handles adversity well and who certainly was missed on Sunday was our guest today, Louis Bleachmore. And, Louis, I, I'm going to ask you a question I'm sure that's pretty easy to answer, but maybe you can expand upon it when I say 
how frustrating was it for you to watch that game from the bench where you could have probably had a major impact? Yeah, it was it was very frustrating just not being able to play. Um, you know, I cherish every moment I'd be able to get out there in the games and, you know, in practice too. Um, so being able to, you know, sit there and watch the game unfold the way it did, uh, it was disappointing, but it was also, I enjoyed it a lot because there were a lot of moments in the games where I was able to celebrate my teammates for some of the plays they made. Um, the one that immediately comes to mind is <laughs> Jalen's dunk. Um, absolutely tore the roof off of uh, Mahoney. But, um, yeah, it, it was it was frustrating, but I try to just, you know, like stay positive and uh, at least uh, enjoy the moments that, you know, I can celebrate other people. We'll uh, get into your injury and your rehab from that injury in a few moments, but you don't want to be doing this but you're on the bench now for a couple of games in a row since getting hurt against St. Peter's. Does that give you a different kind of perspective when you look at the game now from the bench and you see things unfold that, okay, normally you'd be in the middle of that, but now you have a different perspective? Yeah, and, and you know, when, I, when I'm on the bench and, I, and I'm watching the game, um, I'll try and help out guys when they come out, maybe if there was something that was missed or if uh, – um, you know, they did something or whatever, just try and point them out uh, to them and help them in any way that I can. Um, but, yeah, just kind of try and be that active guy on the bench rather than just sitting there and, you know, being a spectator, try and still help out in some way. I like to uh, try and just be of some kind of service. Uh, Louie, I have one for you, but I just want to echo. I, I, Chris, I agree with you 100%. After that game, Bob and I were both pissed. But I said to... I actually said it to Glenn after when we had something to eat afterwards. There's no doubt in my mind that game proved that you're one of the best teams in the conference. I think one of the best, too. You know, uh, I said um, I thought also that um, when I broadcast games, I always talk about championship teams having balance, experience, depth. There's other things, too. Good coaching, luck. They happen to get that kid back. I don't know his name. What's his name? The, the Vavers. Vavers. He made a difference. Mm-hmm. You had your starting four men out. That hurt you. So I thought in this particular game, he could have helped because of the athleticism on the front line of Quinnipiac. Yeah. So I agree with you 100%. It ju- and the same thing you said, it reinforced my feeling that you guys are as good, have as good a chance. Now, you may go to, go, may, you might go to Quinnipiac and get beat. You might, 8, 10, 12. But come Atlantic City, I think when things are, you know, even you're healthy, they're healthy, I think you can beat them. I, I, I think we can, too. And I, think I really feel that. Yeah, I think they're an outstanding team, and I think they're very well coached. Um, but I think we're an outstanding team. No doubt. So I, I think, you know, it, you have to go through the season and go through certain things and – you know, what I said to our guys today in practice, I really mean I'm looking at our schedule and I'm saying to myself, okay, this is where we're at. This next two, two and a half weeks is grinded out time. Right. That's what it is. It's grinded out time. you got to grind harder than any team in the league in practice, in film, in games, whatever it might be. And then the two and a half weeks following that is our takeoff time. That's what I look at that two and a half weeks following that. So that's kind of the way I look at it and – you know, I, I think there's a lot of good teams in the league, but I certainly think we're one of them. When it's all said and done in that tournament, I think we have as good a shot as anybody. Now, in saying that, I, I'm going to say something maybe you don't like. You're going to be consistent where you have to worry about one game at a time. I think if you want to win this regular season, 
me, this is me. I think you got to win both games this weekend. That's me. That's just the way I feel. I think that's how important this weekend is. And I think I only say it because I think you can. That's it. Louie, so you walk into the gym. Because I know when I walked into the gym and you sat there, could you feel like this, like a different vibe? Like the this Quinnipiac was, game? yeah, this was a special game. I, I, I honestly felt like that game against Quinnipiac was a MAC championship preview. I thought that uh, I, I understood how good they were, and uh, but I also know how good we are, and and I have all confidence in us that you know we can be the ones that bring home this MAC championship. And it wouldn't surprise me if Quinnipiac is the team that we play in that championship game. You know, they fired me. Do you know I was a head coach <laughs> really? there? Really? I was a head coach there. I so, did not know that. So I'm good friends with their head coach, and 17 years have gone by. So I, I mean, I hope they lose every game, but <laughs> I don't have a hatred towards them. So. <laughs> it's a different game for me, too. Trust me. Go ahead. See, you learn a thing. You didn't bargain on learning exactly. when you came in, Louie. Exactly. Coach, um, that game on Sunday against Quinnipiac was a showdown of the two statistically highest scoring teams in the MAC. yet it's a game that ended up playing out in the 60s. Uh, did that surprise you? And also, how does that speak to the defensive ability of Quinnipiac and also you? Were you a little surprised at how that game played out? No, I wasn't. When you get games like that, you know, you want to score points, but the score tends to, tends to come down a little bit mm -hmm. in games like that. Um, so I wasn't surprised about that. I knew they were good defensively. I think we're good defensively. Uh, in fact, I know we're good defensively. Um, so it, it, uh, it didn't surprise me, the score. Again, going back, I felt like we could have gotten to 72 in that game, 73. You know how we made a couple plays at the rim. I'm sure Tommy's sitting in his office looking at that too and saying, hey, if we made these couple plays, we could have gotten to 72, you know. So it works both ways. But um, I'm more concerned about our guys. But it, that didn't surprise me, Bob, no. Uh, the three-point shooting. I'm going to lay a few numbers on you here in a moment. And we don't like to overburden with numbers, but <clears throat> the three-point shot was not dropping for you on uh, Sunday. 19% uh, um, was I think your lowest percentage from three on the season. Now, even with that, you're in a position to win the game, and here are those numbers. When Fairfield shoots 38% or more from three-point range, you're 8-0. and 37% or less, you're 4-8. and eight. But here's the caveat. You beat St. Peter's on the day that you made only four three-pointers. You beat Yale despite shooting only 33% in that game. And you could have beaten Quinnipiac on a day that the three-pointer wasn't falling. I guess what I'm leading to is a logical conclusion is that you can find other ways to win games when that weapon, which is a good one for Fairfield, isn't there. But your overall thoughts on the three-pointer being a good but only part of the arsenal that Fairfield can put out there offensively. Yeah, I, I think if you take a look at the game, Quinnipiac was switching everything. So when you do that, and we do that, um, it kind of takes away three-point attempts, and it takes away um, it takes away uh, open threes. Um, so we, I think, what we did a good job of was driving. The, we did a good job of two things in that game: uh, driving the basketball. We got to the foul line more times than they did, and they're a team that is one of the top teams in the league in free throw attempts. So we did a good job of that. The driving got us to the foul line. We did a good job of deflections and steals. We had 12 steals in the game that got us out in transition. Again, we didn't finish some of those plays. you got to finish those plays. 
So um, I think we have other ways to score besides making threes. I mean, if you look at that weekend you're talking about with Peters, we made four threes in that game and then turn around and made 15 in the Manhattan game. So I, I believe we can win both ways. But now you got to be you got to be able to make tough twos in those games. Now you got to be able to score and transition off steals. You got to be able to make the free throws that get you to the foul line. Uh, it's important to do that to win a game like that. Well, numbers are numbers, and um, this is why I think we're on the same page here. This, and I do have a question after I make this statement. This is why after the game, I thought the way you thought. I was calling for tough twos. I was also calling for you to pick up your defense. You not only had 12 steals, you had 13 offensive rebounds. There are seven. So the fact that you were 5 for 26 from three was not that big a deal because you were getting extra shots. I also believe, like you said, because, you know, Joe Fan comes up to me afterwards. We missed too many layups. I said, you know what? They're not as easy as you think. I said, you can score layups easily against – I'm not going to name a team. But when you play a team like Quinnipiac that's athletic – they're harder layups. And now I'm talking about both sides of my mouth. But there was a couple of layups. I was like, how the heck did that miss? Anyway, um, my question to you is, and I, I asked Bob, and he can vouch for me, after I said it during a break, am I being too critical? I thought there was a stretch in that second half where you either shot a quick through, a quick three. Now, I know you're thinking, and – this is why the guys love you. Every, I'm not saying everyone has a free hand or a green light, but there was a couple of quick threes I didn't like, and I thought there was a lot of one-on-one stuff with people standing. Yeah, uh, there I, was a I pocket thought, of it. It wasn't a lot, yeah, and that hurt you in the second half. Yeah, there was a stretch in the second half, and I agree with you on that, Joe. And I think two things happened there. First thing, we did take a couple sh- a couple quick threes, and we, t- we addressed that immediately in the huddle. Uh, at a media, and we said, hey, we're, we're, right now we're taking hero shots. We're taking bad shots. Can't take those. Ball's got to move and body's got to move. And the second thing that we did when they were X and 5, and we this this we did not do a good job of in the game. When you switch 5 like that, you can't stop on that first or second switch. you got to keep the ball moving and bodies moving, and then you're going to find a mismatch or they're going to mess up an X, a switch. And we didn't do that. We we did a um, not a good job of stopping after that first switch and now trying to make a play instead of okay. So maybe they X you know with the five man drag that out, throw back, play three on two on the other side of the floor, and find a mismatch on the other side of the floor. Um, I thought we fixed that a little bit. The other thing um, we went to with the four guards. Um, we did not do a good enough job of moving them side to side at times and then driving the basketball. Um, so, you know, that that was something that kind of put a little bit of a stop on our offense too. But again, I mean, even if you look at that, if I, I go back to the same thing, the couple free throws and make two or three more layups, you know, and now you're looking at 70 points in a game like that, and I feel like you can win scoring that in a game like that. Louis, as uh, you listen to us discuss all these offensive aspects of the game, I want to preface this by saying that when I read about you preseason, read about a good 3-and-D guy, although you're a 4 on Fairfield, but a hustle guy, good rebounder, big motor, 
you know, somebody who goes all out at all times. But in terms of your role in the offense, how do you see that playing out? Where do you see your role in terms of being able to produce points for this team? Um, I think a lot of it uh, comes out in transition. I think I get a lot of my points uh, running the floor, scoring in transition. Um, obviously, if uh, you know we're in our, our motion offense and I get a pick-and-pop three, um, I think that's where I, I shoot the ball uh, in the half court. Um, but also offensively, I just – whatever gets us moving and whatever gets us flowing. Um, I, I don't sit there and uh, am too concerned about how many points I score. What does – kind of get my gears going though is when uh the ball does get stagnant like you guys were talking about if we're taking quick shots or if uh you know we're taking uh just anything that's kind of outside of the flow of uh our offense I really like it when we get the ball swinging and anybody can get a shot because that's when we, like you guys were talking about we take advantage of mismatches um they mess up a, a switch or something and we can you know take advantage of it and, and i think that's when we're at our deadliest is when anybody can go off and we've shown that you know anyone on our team can go off for a big night so um i think that's offensively at least where i like to fit in and i can just kind of you know be free-flowing and anywhere at once really a lot of that has to do with communication too and you're a pretty good communicator i'm sure yeah. that's something you're proud of a lot of your coaches talk about you and your ability to uh you're a good leader and communication big yes, part sir. of that right yes sir yes sir you know they call that uh, the mismatch stuff they call it elephant hunting in the nba did, did you know that joe no i i i i, I, wor I, I, I worry about the rabbits not the elephants <laughs> yeah i just figured i'd lay that on you because as i said i'll know, jump in there too bob on, on your uh, last conversation with Louie is Louie's doing a um, before he got hurt I thought he was really uh, doing a great job of figuring out uh, when to be in time with the offense and when to go he was really starting to figure that out I thought if you looked at his assist to turnover over those like three four games before he got hurt and look at how he was shooting the ball right before he got he he really was doing a good job of figuring that out um, and the other thing he gives us, too, is versatility. If you look at our plus-minuses with different lineups, um, our biggest plus-minus is the lineup of the four guards with him at the five. Mm -hmm. That lineup, we played that lineup now about 33 minutes during the course of the year, and it's plus 47. So it's a good lineup, um, you know, and it, it gives us versatility defensively. And offensively, and the, the 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 one thing with it now is it's a, you know, so the question becomes: Do you turn around now and play that lineup for 40 minutes of the game, or is it a good lineup because you're holding that card and you use it at the right times? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that's the balancing act with it. And I think right now it's being used at the right times, and that's what helps us. But my point to go back to is Louis' versatility really really helps us offensively, and he has really started to come into his own with that part of the decision-making and the flow of the offense. Uh, Chris, for our listeners, um, could you explain how you get to that plus-minus number? What does that mean? It basically just means from the time that you're on the floor, um, do, does your team score more points than the other team? Right. You know, so it factors in your defensive play and your offensive play. That's basically what it means. And, uh, Louie, I was looking at the numbers – your numbers before the injury, unfortunately, against St. Peter's, and it backs up everything Coach just said. 
you were really into a, a comfort zone. You've been there all year in terms of, your, as I said, you work hard. You're a great defender. Uh, the offensive flow was really showing up. So yeah. um, how how long do you think, and let me ask you, back up by asking you first about the injury. Mm-hmm. You went down against St. Peter's, sprained your ankle. You're in the middle of rehab. Um, how much confidence had you built leading up to that abrupt halt because of the injury? How confident are you that you're going to be able to pick it right up again when you get back? Yeah, I was. I, I felt I was playing very well uh, for the past few games, at least up until uh, the injury. Um, but I have complete and utter confidence that I'd be able to come back whenever uh, the time is right and I can pick right back up where I left off. Um, and that's just not anything more than to do with just knowing who I am. Um, you know, me playing well wasn't because of anything I was eating or drinking or whatever. It's just because, like Coach Casey said, I was just getting comfortable and just being out with the guys more and just continually learning over time. Um, and I feel like the injury is just it's just a test. I don't think it's anything outside of, uh, outside of that. So um, I feel like when I come back, uh, whenever that is, I'll be just as ready and I'll be able to pick up right where I left off. So we're speaking to you several days before Fairfield plays at Iona. That'll be on a Friday. And then the next Fairfield game is back home to play Manhattan. Any chance we're going to see you in the near future? I'm not trying to put you on the spot here. What no, is the prognosis okay. and how is the rehab going? Uh, the rehab is going well. Uh, there's been a lot of progress in the time that, uh, you know, from when the injury happened to now. Um, it's just been under two weeks uh, since since I injured it. Um, but I won't be playing on Friday. Uh, probably won't be suiting up on Sunday either. Um, so I'd assume we're aiming for some time next week. Um, I'm just kind of at the stage right now where I'm getting back to walking, uh, walking without pain and stuff. So uh, we're going to continue to work on it, uh, try and get me back to jogging and then back to running and jumping in the near future. So as soon as you know, I feel like I can run and jump back to uh, what I was before, then I, I'll be ready to throw a jersey back on and, and get out there. That uh, with you not out there, Coach Casey is down a, a starting four, but it's been kind of a tandem. Uh, James Johns Jr. is now the uh, starting four in, in Louis' place. Uh, what kind of an opportunity um, has this been? Obviously, it's a good opportunity for, for James to uh, show off his stuff. Um, what are the ups and downs and the, the learning process here for Louis' replacement as the starting four? Well, you know, your role changes now. You know what I mean? So you're kind of just settling into your role. And I thought leading up to that injury, I thought, you know, if you looked at our numbers with Louie and James, you're getting basically double-figure points and double-figure rebounds out of that position, you know, over the course of 40 minutes. And they're basically, you know, splitting the time. Louie's up around 23, 24, 25 minutes. James is anywhere from 18, 17, 16. So they're basically splitting the minutes. Um, Now James's role changes. You know, and he's got to adjust to that well. The other guy I thought's given us some decent minutes there is JB, uh, Jack Brown. Like, he's come in and and done some good things for us in that spot. Um, And we're going to need him to continue to do that, you know, certainly until Louie comes back. And then the other thing it allows us to do is, you know, you use the four guards a little bit more um, and put them on the floor and and do some more things with them. Um, So, you know, I always, my mentality with this stuff is, hey, we roll with who's in the room, guys. That's what we do. You know, and not that Louie's not in the room, but Louie's not available. So 
Uh, we roll with who's able to play, and that's why you have a team. Each guy's now got to do more, and each guy's now got to be able to give us more, right? So that's kind of the mentality that we have on it. As long as we're on the subject or we're on the subject of starting lineups, I wanted to give you an opportunity. I wanted to cut in with this. Uh, Jasper Floyd was not in the starting lineup against Quinnipiac on Sunday. The rule is, Louie knows this, he was ill early in the year and wasn't able to practice and thus didn't get a start as a result, nothing disciplinary. Um, Jasper didn't start, missed a practice, but as it turns out, it's for, it was for a pretty good reason. Why don't you fill us in on why uh, Jasper had to miss that yeah, practice? So Jasper went home, and uh, uh, Jasper became a father. Nice. And um, we're all really excited for him. Uh, we're really thankful that the birth went well, and, you know, mom's healthy, baby's healthy, everybody's good. And uh, he's excited about it. I saw pics. The baby's beautiful. Thank God the baby looks like the mom, you know. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, we're just really happy for him. And, uh, you know, yeah, obviously good reason. Uh, but we've we've kind of stuck to that all year. Sure. And um, Jasper was fantastic about it and understood. And obviously he's still going to play major minutes in the game. So um, all in all, it worked out well. Yeah, the, the baby's name is Levi, I think. Levi, yep, great. Levi, great name. Good. That's, you know what? That's incentive. Yeah. Go out there and win a few games for yeah. Levi. Uh, happened to be that uh, Jasper was the leading rebounder in the game on Sunday against Quinnipiac. And with all due respect to Jasper, Louie, as a category I think you probably want to lead this team yeah, in. Yeah, huh? I try. Jasper does a, a great job, though, for not only his position, but um, just for our team in general of rebounding. You know, he's always flying around, working hard, grabbing boards. So, you know, if I'm not out there grabbing boards, I know he will be. So, um, Coach, we, we were concerned, Bob and I, about Jasper not making it back for the game, and we kind of had a little bit of a joke. I was in Pittsburgh doing a game, Pittsburgh area. I was flying in Sunday morning at 9.30. I volunteered to pick him Go up. Go pick him yeah, up. I wanted yeah. to make sure he got back. You're, get in line. So there was, there was a lot of people waiting to go pick him up. So, yeah. I, I have a question about the person. This is one of the personnel. Peyton Smith, who I, I think um, – I think he's been – I think he's going to go down as one of the all-time greats as long as he gets older, which he will, and works. I, he, he struggled against Quinnipiac, um, and this is not a thing that's happening a lot, but this is a time for me to ask, how can, how can he get better against – and I know he's had good games against the athletic team, but I look at Quinnipiac, I saw that front line, and I saw older guys, athletic, and I said to myself, geez, I think he might struggle in this game, and he did. What does he need to do to, to become a better player? Uh, I don't want to specifically say against more athletic, older kids, but in this league, how can he be a dominant player? Yeah, so a couple things. First, he's got to continue to work on his body. Um, if you look at some of the plays that happened around the basket, I mean, he just he's just not going to physically, at this point in his career, match up with Otiano. He's been playing five years, Otiano. He's he's physically a man, and not that Peyton isn't a man, but he's a young man at this right, point. So, right. you know, he he's gonna he's got to work on that. That's gonna get him better. Um, he's got to work on his ability to slow down in the post against older guys. Uh, what he does is he catches and he goes too quick. When he takes his time, um, he's very good skill wise in the post. Uh, and again, I think. 
part of the reason he gets sped up against older guys is because they're older, more physical guys. So he catches it. He's got a body on him right away, and he hasn't um, physically learned how to handle that yet, and he will. Um, and then I, I also think he's got to continue to work on perimeter ability. You know, mm-hmm. he can. I'm allowing him to shoot open threes because he's able to make them. So you know, you always gotta as a coach, you gotta give a little to get something. You know, now he made he made uh, two very big threes the other day against Manhattan. You know, um, so uh, I, I I encourage him when his when his feet are organized and he's got an open set three to go take them. And I think he's got to continue to work on that and become consistent on the perimeter and uh, just keep being a good passer. He passes the ball really well. Peyton's uh, backup at the uh, five spot is Barima Sec. He's had his ups and downs. Is Where is he in terms of where you would have wanted him to be at this point in the season, albeit it was a delayed start to the season because of the injury he sustained in the preseason? But uh, here we are uh, making the turn into February. Where uh, would, did you expect him to be and where do you need him to be in order to get maximum performance out of Barima? Yeah, well, I mean, every guy we need to give more. You know, that that's part of what we talked about this next two and a half weeks being our grind period. You know, that means you give more. You got to be better. You got to produce a little bit more. You got to work a little bit harder. Uh, you got to be a little more attentive, all those things. So that not only applies to Barim, it applies to all of us. Um, as far as where I expect them to be, you know, I try to set a hard, high bar for all our guys, you know. So I'm not going to tell you any guy is yet where I want him to be, you know, and that's not because uh, I don't have confidence in any of them. I obviously do, but I try to set that bar high because I feel like we have a bunch of very good players and a bunch of hardworking guys. So, you know, Barima, I think a couple of areas he can improve in, like, and we talk about this with him, he's got to go rebound the ball with two hands. Um, he tends to go rebound with one hand, and if you watch a lot of clips on tape, he's he's got – a great read on the rebound, but because he's going one hand, somebody else on the offensive end is now tipping the rebound, you know, so he doesn't gather it. So we talk about that. And then the other thing we talk about uh, when we're switching five with him in the game, he's got footwork ability to guard the ball, but his initial approach to it is he, he's, he tends to overreact defensively, you know, like somebody just raises their head and he's jumping at the shot fake or he comes out with one foot in front of the other and his hands up. So now the offensive guy attacks his top foot and opens him up. So things like that. Now he is making improvements in those areas, uh, but these are all things that are going to get him better. Um, and then offensively, same thing as Payne, just slow down. you know. And in the end, his during the course of his career, the physical improvements are going to help him there too. You know, that's going to be important. He's, he needs, Barima really needs like an off-season and a summer in the weight room, a lot of uh, a high level of protein intake, things like that, that's going to help add some strength and size to his physique, which is only going to help his game. Louis, uh, as a fellow big, we've been talking here about Peyton and Barima, as somebody who literally bangs with them during practice. Uh, what are your thoughts on them and uh, the from a player's perspective, the ceiling you see for both of those guys? Yeah, I, I, firstly, I think they can both be very, very, very good players. I think they already are. Um, you know, going against them in practice, they both offer two very different, uh, like, strengths. I'd, I'd say Barim is definitely a defensive-minded uh, shot blocker and, and a great rebounder. And Peyton, 
He, you know, offensively, he, he can shoot it. He can post up. He can post strong. He's got a nice left hand. Um, and I think, yeah, they, they both uh, go at each other for sure in practice. Um, but as regarded to their ceilings, I think they can both be very good. They both work very hard. Um, they're both in the gym putting work in. So um, I think they both will, and I think they'll be able to complement each other very well and help get each other better as well. Let's, I wanted uh, to jump in there real quick, Bob. Yeah. One of my favorite things in practice, Louie, is when Barima makes a play and he starts talking. Mm -hmm. And that, 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 that juices practice up, and yeah. that gets Caleb talking to Barima, and yeah. they go back and, forth, and in the right way, not in the, in the right wrong way. way. In the right way. But it, it, <laughs> he, he can get things juiced up when he gets going, so For I sure. kind of like that about him. You have a lot of good personalities on this team, don't you? I, I do. I love the personality of yeah. our guys. I really do. Well, this guy with us is certainly one of them, and um, – what makes you unique, of course, uh, Louis, is you're an Australian yes, coming from a country where basketball is very popular, but not the most popular sport. Yes, so sir. the obvious starting point there is what turns you, an Australian, to basketball as your sport of choice. Yeah, so growing up, I played a bunch of different sports, uh, soccer, I did swimming, tennis. Um, basketball was always on the backbone. I'd always played basketball since I was about 10, um, but I never really took it all that seriously. Um, and then one day when I was, I think you I didn't was, play Australian football. No, I didn't. Or rugby or oh, cricket. Man. None of the classic right. Australian sports. Right. Um, but yeah, I remember really it was, uh, probably around 2012. I watched, uh, Blake Griffin win the dunk contest mm. and that's, over the car. Yeah. And, and that really got me into, into, I just wanted to be like that and just dunk the ball like that. So I'd find any little low rim I could, and I'd just start dunking, and then that really got me into basketball. And then, you know, fast forward four or five years, I found my way over here, and, and yeah, the rest is history. How about your family? Any basketball influences there? No, zero. Honestly, I've, I think I'm the first serious athlete out of my family. I don't think any of my uh, – my parents definitely didn't play sport. My my sister played a little bit of sport in high school, but kind of fell off once you know she uh, she left school. So I think I'm doing my family proud by being <laughs> the only athlete. How, how about your whole recruiting thing? Um, how how uh, out of high school? Now you went to uh, Harkham, right? Yeah, Harkham. So was how my did you wind? College. How did you wind up at Harkham? So I did three years of prep school at a school now. It's now closed down, but it's called uh, Scotland Campus. And uh, that's the same place where Chris went, Chris Mido. Right, right. So uh, I did three years there. I did my junior and senior year, and then I did a post-grad year after that. And that's when COVID had came down. And uh, the schools I, I was being recruited by at the time, uh, they all kind of dissipated and went to the portal. And so that's when I sat down with my coaches, and we said, okay, probably have to go junior college. And then I went to Harkham College for two years. Um, and it's funny because whilst I ended up committing to St. Joe's, right around that time I had spoke to Coach Young um, and Coach Dua. Uh, I was already down the line with St. Joe's at the time, but uh, Coach Young and Coach Dua were trying to recruit me uh, going into my sophomore year of uh, junior college. Uh, Harkin was a good experience for you in that, uh, A, uh, you put up some good numbers your second year there, and yep. B, that was, a, that was a pretty good team. Mm -hmm. Obviously, when you were with a winning team, you got to the uh, junior college uh, championships, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
chemistry is a big part of that. You see any similarities between that Harkham team that was really a 32 win team? I think. Yeah, it was? yeah, we were we were 32 and three. Um, yeah, there was a lot of similarities because uh, majority of the team were a lot older, which I see is probably the most striking thing with this team here is we have a lot of age and experience, um, and that carries a lot of weight, uh, a lot more than people would know. Um, but we were a lot older, a lot more experienced, um, and, and we we had just bought in. And I feel like that's another thing that uh, we, we share here is everybody has just bought into each other. We've bought into Coach Casey and the coaching staff, um, and we've bought into each other as teammates. And, you know, the bonds that we share and the chemistry that we have is it's, you know, it's better than that Harkham team that I was a part of. And, and it's it's really important because it carries over to playing on the court with each other. You know, no one ever blows up at anybody. We all treat each other with the utmost respect and we listen to each other, which I think directly translates to, you know, the season that we're having so far and why we're so successful. Uh, getting back to your journey, this literal journey from Australia to the United States, mm -hmm. there had to be some people who helped support you getting you from Sydney, Australia to, as it turns out, Scotland campus yeah. in um, in the backwoods <laughs> of Pennsylvania. So who were those people? How did you end up going from Sydney to Scotland campus? Yeah, so there was this, uh, there was this company, um, this skills kind of development company that had hired a couple American coaches to come over and kind of train kids and, and help them uh, develop their skills and stuff. So the coach that I met, his name was Flynn Claim, and he's he's at High Point now. Um, so he he would offer, I think there was maybe two sessions a week for my age group. And so I would go to those sessions, um, and I'd always be the first in, last to leave. And I developed a good relationship with him, so he would let me go in with, like, the under-14 girls, the under-12 boys. It didn't matter. I, any session that I, I could get in, I was trying to get working and just improve my game. Um, and so I developed a good relationship with him, and, and we would be in the gym all the time. And, and he knew that I wanted to come to the U.S. to at least, at the very least, play high school basketball. Um, and so he knew some coaches off, off at Scotland. Uh, spoke to them, kind of got that little pathway formulated and then uh, presented me with the opportunity. I said, I don't care where it is. I don't care where I have to go, who I got to play for, just get me to the U.S. And so from then on, I you know, went to Scotland and I didn't take a visit there. I didn't look at it. I didn't know where I was going. One day me and my dad just pull up in Scotland, Pennsylvania and, you know. The let's, next let's go. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's do it. So. Has your uh, family been able to come up to Fairfield and see a game? Yeah, so my dad, um, he was up here over Christmas, which was absolutely lovely. Um, my mom came to see me last year when I was at St. Joe's, but my dad was able to come up here over break uh, with, with, with the family. And, um, you know, they hadn't seen me play in, I believe it was seven years at that wow. point. So um, that was great to have them at, uh, at some of those games. They loved it. Um, my sister was able to come as well, which I didn't know about originally. So that was a surprise. Um, but that was lovely as well. So they loved it. Do they follow you, um, uh, down in, in Sydney on, uh, you know, when they get, are they Joe fans? <laughs> by watching your, your games? Yeah, no, I do have, a, I do have quite a few people, uh, from Sydney and just Australia in general that just follow the journey. Sure. Um, any Australian basketball players? I mean, you've got, let's see, uh, Andrew Bogut, of course. Yeah, so Andrew Bogut, Patty Mills. Patty Mills, uh, great, great we got a, We got a lot of NBA players. We're, we're very 
I'd say the last 10 years, Australian basketball has really taken off and we've got a lot of talented players. You know, we've got Dyson Daniels, Josh Green, uh, Paddy Mills. We've got a lot of especially young and talented guys coming up. Tyrese Proctor at Duke. He's a he's a Sydney boy as well. So who's the kid from Kansas, the freshman? That's yeah, we got. Oh, I don't. I can't remember his Nerf, name. Nerfie, but I, I Nerfie, know who you're talking. Yeah, yeah. I know you're talking about. Yeah, we he's, got. He's he started like the last five Kansas. games for him. He's good. Yeah, yeah. We got. A, I saw him at the NBA Academy games this yeah, summer. Yeah, that's where player. a lot of a lot of Australians come out of is the NBA yeah. Academy. Uh, any personal connections with uh, anybody in this Australian network, pro or college? Uh, well, actually, when we played Niagara. Um, one of my boys from Adelaide, he is on the Niagara uh, Niagara team. He was actually my roommate at Scotland when I was like 16 or 17, and he was 14. So seeing him was good, and uh, being able to play against him in, in that game was fun. Um, but yeah, uh, there's a couple other people along the journey that I've played against. But Now, Chris Casey, Coach Casey, told us very early on during one of these podcasts that both you and Jasper were his unofficial captains. Yeah. That's uh, quite the compliment. We now know, obviously, that you have leadership capabilities. You're a good leader. Leading is one thing. Getting the guys to follow is another thing. And here you are, a leader on a team where you're a first-year player. Yeah. Um, how challenging or not so challenging was that for you to get guys to kind of fall in line? Oh, with definitely. It's, it's defi it was definitely challenging. Um, and, you know, I realized that for me personally, uh, just leading by example uh, is, is how I do things. You know, I, I feel like my way of leadership is, is guys li uh, watch how hard I play, how hard I work, um, and, and follow suit in that way. I don't necessarily need to be barking at people or you know, calling the shots or calling orders or anything. But, you know, as soon as, you know, I step floor in practice or you, I step floor in, uh, in games is, you know, I'm going to give you all that I got. Um, and I feel like guys follow suit in that way. And I feel like that's a – I'm glad to take that role uh, because then that means I've got 14 other guys behind me that are willing to play hard. And, you know, that, that to me is unstoppable. You can't stop that. How about the cultural aspect? I remember reading something about you where you said something to the effect of, you know, my slang is different from theirs. Yeah. They like video games. I like getting outdoors. Yeah. That yeah. was about five years ago when you yeah. came to this country. How how are you coming along in that oh, aspect? Oh, honestly, it's, it still speaks truth to this day. <laughs> you know, like my slang is very different. I get mocked a couple of times here and there, but it's all jokes. Um, but, yeah, no, nah, it's still very different. Uh and that's something that I think that won't ever change. Um, but I like being the different one out here. Yeah. Um, you know, and especially I find it funny when they pick up on my accent. Because <laughs> I get told a lot that I sound American. A lot of Australians tell me I sound too American. So <laughs> when the Americans tell me I still sound Australian, I love it. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how about Fairfield? Uh, you mentioned that Coach Young reached out to you early in the process. Uh, you ended up at... Philadelphia and St. Joe's, but here you are now at Fairfield. Mm -hmm. uh, when did you first start thinking, maybe I want to do the transfer thing, and yeah. why did it ultimately lead you here to Fairfield? Yeah, um, so I kind of knew towards the end of the season. Last year was a very, it was a pretty rough year on me. Um, you know, I, coming from a, a junior college where I, I played a lot, uh, you know, for the majority of my time there to, to kind of, completely do a 180 and, and go not playing as much as uh, I'd hoped. Uh, it was very hard 
there was a lot of other challenges off the court that I was going through as well. Um, but I had kind of gauged the idea that, you know, no matter what it was that I did, I wasn't really going to see the floor as much as I'd hoped. And so just upon speaking to the coaches and kind of uh, expressing where I'd like to head in the future, um, we kind of just came to a mutual understanding that uh, what I wanted wasn't going to be able to uh, work there. And so that's when I kind of gauged the idea that, all right, I need to hit, hit in the transfer portal. And pretty much right away was when I got into contact with uh, Coach Young and Coach Dewar. Uh, I think I entered on a Friday. I was grabbing coffee with Coach Young on the Monday. Um, and then we organized a visit and, you know, as soon as I came up here and saw the campus for myself and met Coach Casey and all the other staff, uh, that's when I kind of knew, like, this was a place to be. There was a great opportunity here. Um, and uh, that's when I just knew, like, yeah, Fairfield, Fairfield's a spot. Well, I know Coach Casey and everybody here, they're happy you uh, made that decision. Yeah. <laughs> I also know Coach Casey would love uh, to look forward to this Iona game on Friday night with you out there, yeah. but that's not the case. We move on and uh, want to ask you, Coach, about what is now the only team you haven't played now in the MAC, unless I'm mistaken, is Mount St. Mary's. Uh, he's starting the second time around now, rematch against Iona, grinded out time as you put it. But what are the things that need to change this time? They got you the first time. We seems like such a long time ago now, December 1st, when you lost at home to Iona. Get them on the road. That in itself is a tough – any road game is tough. So, in addition to that, the challenges, the things you need to do well to uh, get Iona and avenge that December 1st loss. Yeah, um, defensively, uh, transition defense is going to be important. We have to sprint back, match up quickly, uh, get the ball under control. That's going to be important. Uh, our communication has to be at an extremely, extremely high level in this game. They, they, they're not a set team where they're going to run this set, that set, this play, that play. Uh, they're a motion team that, that relies a lot on driving the basketball, slipping out of screens, moving the ball side to side. Um, so we're going to have to do a really good job of first sprinting back, and then our communication has to be great on switches so we don't lose anybody. I thought one of the key things in the last game was we lost Panzos a couple times. Mm. And that was it, it was always when we were right on the cusp of maybe catching him and passing him. Uh, he would make a big three. So we'd get it to four, and he'd make a three, and now it's seven again, and you're fighting your way back. Or we got it to three, and he drills a three, and now it's six again. You're fighting your way back. So I thought that was key. And, and so we have to communicate better on some of those switches. Then we have to guard the ball. You know, they're, they're a drive-the-basketball team, uh, so we got to do a good job of that. And then defensive rebound the ball. Um, so I think those are the four most important things defensively. Offensively, uh, I want to attack pressure. We're going to do a good job of that um, without turning the ball over. Uh, and then I think when they get five back now, they keep the pressure up in the half court. So it's not going to be a game where you're going to be able to get to a ton of actions offensively. I think you have to get to a quick action offensively. And then I think you have to play off that action, um, particularly because they're going to pressure you to full court. It's going to run the clock down a little bit. Um, so I think those are the keys. And then obviously you got to score against them. You know, they're a team that can score points. We can score points too. So it's a game that on the road in particular, you got to get possessions by not turning the ball over, and you have to finish things at the rim, make open shots. All right, you know what uh, portion of the podcast we have reached? It's the Alexis <laughs> getting an update. 
portion. Um, I talked to you on Sunday and related this during the broadcast that he's getting closer. Uh, not ready to put a date on it yet, but let me just lay out there and let you take it from here. Yeah, he's um, you know, he's not there yet. Uh, but you know, he's working so hard, guys. It, it's I feel honestly, I feel badly for the young man because he's really, really working hard and trying to get back, and he wants to be. He wants to help us so bad. He's already helping us with his voice on the bench, his voice in practice. He's starting to do some five-on-five five things in practice. Um, not quite up and down yet in a five-on-five five situation, but a half-court situation, five-on-five. Five, and we don't do a ton of that. Most of what we do in practice is up and down. Uh, but he's starting to get acclimated to that a little bit. So he's getting there. He's getting there. Um, and, and, again, I'm, uh, you know, I'll, I'll – give you the same thing Bob every time we talk I, I want him to come back when he feels like he's ready to be Lex I don't want him to come back you know because he's just trying to get back and then he can't he can't do what he wants to be able to do so that's important to me that he comes back when he feels like he can be himself Joe any final words yeah I do uh, I have a question but I I want to just comment and Chris you're the head coach and Louie you're here kind of representing the team you know back in April um my junior year, the 77-78 team was arguably the best team in the school's history. Well, we got inducted into Hall of Fame. And we have an ongoing group text now, which is really nice. And I got to tell you, and this is a credit to you and your team, the guys are really engaged in your guys' play. Uh, comments have come in, great win, tough loss. So, And I also want to say, and I told Bob, I think I said it on the broadcast, there's been a handful of times, I'm exaggerating, I've gotten goosebumps being part of Fairfield basketball. One of them was, Bob, you know the years better than me. My life has been like one long day. When A.J. Winder, we're down 19 at the Meadowlands to Iona in a championship game, and Winder, uh, we run our four seconds or less play uh, to staggered screen at the free throw line, three-quarter court. A.J. got it, knocked in a two-pointer to tie, to tie the, the game. game. What year was that? 87? 1987. 87. Well, we're down 19. We beat Iona at the Meadowlands. We wound up winning. That was a goosebump moment. When Jalen Leach dunked on Belonk and got fouled and put you up one, I actually get goosebumps talking about it. That was a big time to me, one of the best moments. I've been involved with Fairfield basketball since 75 as a freshman, and I'll say it again. I think our team, I can say since 75 was the best ever. I can't account for one on before, but in saying that, uh, I want to talk a, a spec. I want to ask a question, a spec, about the strategy at the end. I complimented Pacora for not calling a timeout when he had the ball on the last, and I complimented the fact that they had a, a, a stud experience backcourt, Savion Lewis and Belanco made the shot. I didn't get a chance to say it on the broadcast because we got to sign off. I'm not making excuses, but I didn't get to say, I kind of know why you didn't call a timeout. But I want you to say why you didn't, because you had w at least one left, maybe two. Yeah, yeah, I had I had one left, and um, you know, so this is what I saw. Uh, Jasper grabbed the ball out of bounds, and I could see him looking up the court, and I was looking to call timeout, and then I saw that he got the ball advanced up the court to Jalen, and I just don't think with three point, I think it was like three and a half seconds left, three point five maybe. I just don't – you call timeout now, you set the defense, you got to go length of the floor in three and a half seconds. 
they're going to put a, you know their biggest guy on the ball. They're going to X everything. No so doubt. you got to get it in bounds. Um, when I saw uh, Jasper looking at Jalen up the court, I thought, let him throw it. And it's going to get in the hands of the guy that was just player of the week. And let's see, you know, let him make a play with it. Um, you know, so that's always a, you know, you're always going to, you're always going to look back. And then obviously after the game, I'm looking at it and thinking, well, maybe should I have called timeout? And, gonna, and I'm like, you know, I'm not doing that. Not no. with three. If there's eight, ten in the game, yeah, I'm calling timeout and I'm going to get something. But with that amount of time, that ball advanced up the court quickly and it's in the hands of a guy that can make a play. So I was fine with it. And it's funny. When the ball went in, I didn't say it in the air. I said it to myself, timeout, timeout. And then I saw Floyd, which is a big-time credit to him and his savvy on the court. A lot of guys would put their heads down. And and you remember my teams. You were at Central. We always ran on makes. So I would never call a timeout because I thought we were better. And in that game, I thought you were better in transition. And like you just said, rather than give them a chance to set up. So I, I totally agree, but I just wanted to hear you say, and I'm sure some of the people who were at the game were wondering. Um, and I'll say it again. I said it to you. I said it to people. He had a shot. Leach had a shot he could have made, not should have made. Yeah, I agree 100%. Yep. Right. And, and, Joel, let me add to that real quick. If you tell your guys we appreciate those kind words, all of us do, our entire team, and – you know, we always want to represent it. This is a great university, and we want to represent it well. And, you know, we want people to come watch us and feel how much we enjoy playing and competing and we enjoy doing that with each other, um, win or lose. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I just I appreciate uh, – I got a lot of respect for you. I remember you as a player. I was at camp here at, at Fairfield many, many years ago. Um, and, you know, I always knew who you were as a player, and you had a terrific team, and I Absolutely. appreciate that you guys – feel that way about yeah. us that means something we had a great coach and a great team and whenever someone approaches me about my individual accolades I said I was fortunate to play in a great team a gr great system and but this is fun basketball you're playing like I said um it, it was goosebump moment on Sunday and I, I was half asleep because I had a long night and an early morning next day but it was fun fun you were fun. half asleep before the game yeah right <laughs> began uh broadcasting that game and watching your guys play so well, I, I made a vow before this uh, podcast <laughs> began that we would get it in under 50 minutes, but um, uh, broke that vow. We're well <laughs> over 50 minutes. But one of the reasons is because uh, our guest, Louis Bleachmore, you're a fascinating guy. We Thank enjoy you. talking to you. This could have Thank gone an hour and 50 minutes <laughs> if we had expanded. Um, but uh, mostly we wish you um, a quick recovery. Yes, Looking sir. forward to getting you back on the floor as soon as possible. Thanks for giving us time here no, today. Thank you for having me. I'll be back soon. Real soon. That is uh, definitely music to Fairfield fans' ears. And that'll do it for this edition of Open Court with Fairfield coach Chris Casey. Next up for the Stags, a return engagement against Iona. They're trying to avenge that loss to the Gales back on December 1st. They play them on Friday. And then it's back home to take on Manhattan on Sunday, February 4th, 2 o'clock start at Mahoney Arena. Hope it's as energized as it was, and I'm sure it will be. 
as it was against uh, Quinnipiac. Our next podcast drops the week of February 11th, a few days before the Stags play Niagara at Mahoney Arena on Friday, February 16th. So next podcast that week leading up to the Niagara game, maybe we get to see Louis Bleachmore back on the floor. Yes, sir, hopefully. On February the 16th. So for Chris Casey and our guest Louis Bleachmore, for the Fairfield Hall of Famer, Joe DeSantis, and our podcast engineer, Wyatt Dossie, I'm Bob Hiesler. Thanks for listening to Open Court.